This is This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, episode number 10 for the week of September 21st through the 28th, the postseason race. This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball brought to you by Fansided.com, the number one pro sports blog network on the internet. For more information, visit Fansided.com. Coming up in episode number 10, the stretch run is here in Are the Tigers Equipped? Joining us this week to talk about the current Indian series, wrap up the Twin Series, and preview the White Sox series is Ian Castleberry, BlessYouBoys.com, Greg Eno of GregEno.com, and J.L. Atlambi over at EyeOfTheTigers.com. Also joining us on the Prospects on the Prowl segment is Paul Wesner of Tigstown.com to take a look at the Arizona Fall League prospects. It's all here. Tighten your seatbelts because it's going to be a long ride. This week in Detroit Tigers baseball, episode number 10 starts now. Uh-oh, high drive into left field. This ball is hit well, way back. Luciano will watch it fly. It's gone. For second, the 1-0. Swinging a fly ball. Left wow. field is wow. deep. It's way back. The Tigers are going to the World Series. Bringing the best Detroit Tigers bloggers together to talk about our team. Sponsored by MotorCityBengals.com. It's This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, and it starts now. Welcome back to another edition of This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. I am your host, Joe Dexter. Well, unlike many fans like those on the south side of Chicago, us Detroit Tigers fans, we're lucky to be a part of what I like to title the final run. Like the Bulls of Pamplona and the humans brave enough to run with them, only one can win in this race for the AL Central crown. The Twins have kept pace after a successful home series against the Tigers and just sit two and a half games back. Placido Polanco, one of the many veterans on this squad, has been there before, and he knows that from here on out, they cannot let off the throttle. It's full speed ahead, and any letup will cause crushing weight of a plowing bull named the Twins, stomping forward into the postseason. Very important, try to win every game, you know, every pitch, every play, everything counts. You don't take no, no team for granted, you know, they're all big leaguers, professional, good teams, and uh, we got to go out there and um, try to win that game, take it a day at a time. Though one game at a time might seem cliche, it fits for this 2009 Tigers club, one that has seen its ups, its downs, and has been waiting for its clutch hitters to respond. Placido Polanco is hot coming down the stretch, but manager Jim Leland points out another cliche. If the other veterans don't step up on this team, the Tigers might as well wave that white flag in this heated battle. I mean, we got veterans on this team that, you know, we're in a World Series. Uh, they should know what it's all about. You know, this is basically October baseball in September uh, for the White Sox, the Twins, and us. So they should know what it's all about. I just think you got to go down the stretch with those guys, and if they don't get it done, they don't get it done. Unlike Jim Leland, many of these veterans are not promised a contract for next year. Veterans Adam Everett, Gerald Laird, Aubrey Huff, and the other leaders from the 2006 World Series run have a chance one last time at a playoff berth, one chance that continues this week against the Cleveland Indians, a team that has had a disappointing year and has even traded away its best talent or some of that talent is just too injured to perform. Either way, Curtis Granderson points out this Cleveland squad always plays them tough. They're going to play good. They're going to keep playing well. Uh, every time we go there, it's always a tough ballpark to play in. And, uh, 
They've been playing. I mean, that's the way our division's been. You know, no one's out of it. No one's over. No one's given up. And as a case in point, all the way from the top to the bottom of this uh, division, you see it with everybody. Everybody's winning games and beating people. When we come back on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, I'll be joined by our panelists, J.L. at Lambie of IveTheTigers.com, Ian Castleberry of BlessYourBoys.com, and Greg Eno of GregEno.com. And we'll talk about the upcoming Indian series and recap that final series for the Tigers in that darn Metrodome. It's all coming up on this week in Detroit. Detroit Tigers Baseball, episode number 10, part of the Fansided Network. We're proud to be standing there like a house on the side of the road, and we cheer when your Tiger hits it long gone. MotorCityBengals.com, part of the Fansided Network at Fansided.com. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try it again. Don't make me come back there. Now that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. Here's your host, Joe Dexter. Welcome back to the 10th edition of This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. I am your host, Joe Dexter, joined by some of the best panelists around. We'll start with Jay Ellett Lambie of Eye of the Tigers. Hey, Jay, how's it going? Very good, Joe. How about yourself? Doing great. Can't complain, that's for sure, after a Twins loss. Ian Castleberry, blessyourboys.com, also joining us. Hey, Ian, how's it going? Great, Joe. Thanks for having me back on. No problem. Also joining us is Greg Eno of GregEno.com. Greg, a win out of three. You can't complain, I guess, right? Hallelujah to the end of that Metrodome. Thanks uh, for having me on again, Joe. I appreciate it, sir. My pleasure. Well, let's get right into that Minnesota series. The Tigers dropped two out of three. Now three games up on the Twins, and if they were to lose today, they would be one game up on the Twins even though it's just, it seems like one game, it still means a lot, doesn't it? We'll start with Jay Ellen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you come into a series facing the prospect of, of playing the team right behind you and, and conceivably walking out of there with, with only a one-game lead and still having to play them four times, that's pretty scary. And when you look to the fact that they had one of their best pitchers on the mound today and we had Nate Robertson going, it, it, I could have had a little more confidence coming into the game. Uh, so I'm very glad to see that uh, they did well, and then they were able to pull out a win. Like you, we mentioned, the Metro Dome that's going to be finally over. The Tigers won't be playing there ever again. And you look at it at that fact that this could have been a big game loss-wise for the Tigers. I went in nervous. Greg, the question has to be: Is the team still the favorite? The Tigers being with this Minnesota team's Twins team that's so pesky out there. Well, I think that they are the favorite. I, I think, obviously, uh, winning one out of three was, uh, you know, in, in this instance was acceptable. Uh, you don't like to lose any series, but just to win one, as you mentioned earlier, is the difference between being only one game ahead and being three games ahead. So uh, it, it definitely makes them the, the favorite now. And, and once again, another week has gone off the schedule, and now, you know, it becomes uh, down to a two-week schedule. And uh, what you want to do is you want to put yourself in a position where hopefully all you need to do is just split those four games in Detroit against the Twins 
to kind of keep them at bay. In, in other words, make the Twins have to win three out of four in Detroit at least to uh, have an impact on the on the race. Well, the Tigers 79-70 and 70 on the year. They have that three-game lead. The magic number is 11 going into this Minnesota series. It didn't. You wouldn't think that Nate Robertson was a pitcher that would win, but he was the X factor and down the stretch. He's going to be key. Ian, do you think that he can be the X factor, a guy like maybe like a Kenny Rogers going into the year 2006 that can actually produce? I wouldn't have thought so before he started pitching, but he's... He's been fantastic in uh, three of his four starts. I mean, I've spent most of my years as a Tigers blogger ripping Nate Robertson, but I gotta give it up to the guy. He's been he's been great, and he yeah he is kind of the uh, you know some people might roll their eyes at this, but he is kind of the pitcher they got at the deadline. He is what they hoped Jared Washburn would be. Well, speaking of Jared Washburn, he's going to be out most likely for the year. Eight starts so far. So far for the Tigers, 1-3, and three, a 7.33 ERA. If you take out that start against the Royals where he gave up three hits over eight innings, that second start with the Tigers, he has an ERA over 900. So the question has to be, we'll go with to Jay on this one, was Jared Washburn making that acquisition, was that the wrong move? Or do, like me, do you agree that this move was still the right thing to do? Well, hindsight is twenty twenty, Joe. And, of course, when you look back, considering the numbers that Jared has now, it's easy to say, well, the Tigers should have stood pat or went after someone else. But at the time, he had the third-best ERA in the American League and been pitching very well. It was the right move. Uh, Dave Dombrowski wanted to get a fourth starter and to nail down the staff. He took a shot at a guy who had looked very good. It's unfortunate that Washburn's knee has not cooperated. And from the comments that I've read, it, it appears that the organization at least feels that that's the, the primary reason for his demise. Is, is the knee is, is really bothering him. He can't plant. He can't turn. Um, it doesn't look like Jared Washburn's a guy who's going to be back next year. So Tigers fans, unfortunately, will have to weigh this trade in perpetuity based on what they've seen to this point. Um, and again, it, it's unfortunate because I, I know that you know, pitching in in places like Seattle and being on bad ball clubs for a long time, that Jared Washburn was really excited about being part of the pennant race. And, and you can tell from his comments that he's extremely disappointed that he has not been able to help this club more. But in, in retrospect, again, uh, I still think it was the right move to go out and, and take a chance on him. It's, it's just sad that it uh, didn't turn out the way we hoped. You are correct on the fact that Dombrowski believes that it's mostly knee-related. He said this, quote, he just hasn't been the same pitcher as he was in Seattle, and there's no question it's primarily knee-related. Well, we're going to move to Greg on the next. We're going to continue with Jared Washburn, and going into being acquired by the Tigers, he had it all said. The thought was he's going to go back to Seattle. Either way, he's a free agent, one of the best pitchers currently in Major League Baseball. Now, as he goes into the offseason, if he doesn't pitch for the rest of the year, he might be more on the downside. Do you think that the Tigers should take a chance out of him, maybe give him a one-year deal if they can be in that ballpark? Well, clearly uh, it has a lot to do with how, how healthy he is. And, 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 you know, you don't know if you know when this really flared up, if the Tigers did enough due diligence before the trade to see if this guy was healthy before they acquired him. But, you know, I mean, left-handed pitchers, uh, left-handed starter, starting pitchers are especially are at a premium, and uh, sometimes you hate to let a guy slip through your fingers that, that might still be able to help you. So I think the Tigers should take a look at it. But, uh, you know, knees are funny with pitchers. I mean, uh, they get a lot of their uh, – 
you know, they're not arm trouble, like like which can be devastating, but they, they can be knee injuries can be no less uh, uh, debilitating to a pitcher. So they have to really take a look at how healthy he is, and it's one of the things that they have to look at in the off season and really sit down and decide if this uh, is something they want to get into. Because uh, Nate Robertson, like Ian mentioned, uh, has um, has indeed turned out to be what they thought Jared Washburn would be. So in, in that respect, the Tigers kind of got lucky in the sense that uh, they didn't get it from Washburn, but they're getting it now from Robertson. So I guess it doesn't really matter who you get it from as long as you get it. Let's continue with this Minnesota Twins series. Brandon Lyon gives up a big home run Saturday, and he's been he's moved into his role nicely as a setup-type pitcher in the eighth inning. The question has to be, though, Ian, after seeing a home run like that in a competition-type game where they're competing for that division, does Brandon Lyon in that role scare you a little bit, or do you think that he can hold his ground in the playoffs as we look forward to that? I, Based on how he pitched up, leading up into that moment, I, I'm pretty confident. Um, I know a lot of people probably had the same fears that they had about him earlier in the season, but I mean, he just he just made a bad pitch. You know, he left a fastball up in the strike zone. Kadir's been red hot. I, I think it's just one of those things, and you know, we could we could also argue that it never should have gotten to that point anyway. Uh, so I'm still I, I think he's been very good in that setup role, and, and that that's going to be one of their strengths going into the playoffs, hopefully. Hopefully it is a strength. Well, speaking of strengths, we, we talked about those at length, but this is a playoff race, and one of the things we always look for, especially with the playoffs right around the corner, is the weakest part of the team. We'll start with Jay. What do you think that weakest part is? It's kind of a joke to the fact that it's got to be something offensive, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... I mean, you have three starting pitchers in, in Verlander, Jackson, and Porcello who have all been above average this year. You have a strong bullpen. You've had pretty good defense. And somehow the Tigers seem to have trouble scoring more than three runs in a game and scoring more than ten runs sometimes. Uh, I don't see a lot of production out of the early part of the lineup. Um, you know, recently, Plasco, Polanco, and Maglio have been, have been getting better and they've been uh, getting on base more and more. But, yeah, until this team can learn how to penalize inexperienced pitchers and bad pitchers on other teams, which is, is to me, the, the real crux of the problem, uh, there's going to be a lot of question marks you know, in the last couple of weeks of the season because you're going to see a lot of guys coming up from the minor leagues, guys on uh, you know, September call-ups, guys who haven't pitched against the Tigers before. This team needs to, I don't know if it's spend more time looking at film or new techniques from Lloyd McClendon or just being more focused or you know, having a better breakfast. I have no idea. But uh, they've got to learn how to score a few more runs because uh, if not, this, this Yankees team that they'll likely face in the first round, it's not going to be easy to get past the Yankees scoring two, three runs a game. You look at the core of that offense. We've talked about it a lot on this show, Greg. Miguel Cabrera needs to step up a bit. First time we get to talk about it on the show. Twitter hits the show where you and you and Jay got in kind of an argument about Miguel Cabrera. First start, state what you think about Miguel Cabrera and how he needs to step up, and then I'll have Jay refute that. Well, you know, I, I think that uh, baseball is, is, a, is a game that um, obviously is very statistically based and 
and uh, statistics are something that can be, you know, uh, I guess are in the eye of the beholder. And uh, I guess I, I look at, at baseball in, in a more of a, of a, I guess in a gut kind of a way, and more of a, of a feel as opposed to a, um, you know, analytically. And, and I just don't feel like um, Miguel Cabrera has put the Tigers on his back for long enough stretches of time. There was, a, there was a point in the middle of the latter part of August where I thought he did. I thought his, his shoulders got broad and he started to carry them. And that's how they got to the lead up to seven games at one point. But then I, I just feel like he's been, in the month of September, hasn't been the guy that you really feel like has said, come on, guys, come on board. I'm going to take you the rest of the way here. And, and to me, that's where the, the players that are really up in that, up in that upper, upper, upper echelon of, of eliteness uh, that's what they do, and uh, I don't know that Miguel. In all fairness to Miguel, he's still a young guy. We got to remember that he's not. He's not. He's still a kid, as far as I'm concerned. So he's, he's got a lot. He's, he's got a lot more years to do that. But I just don't feel like he's done it yet uh, to the point where, even though he's the best hitter on the team, uh, you talk about an offense where you know I'm not sure if that's really a, a, that distinctive an honor, frankly. But he's clearly. I think underachieved, and uh, I know his numbers don't would, would belie that because he's hitting 333. He's got 30 home runs, but a guy of his magnitude should have 120, 130 RBIs at this point of the season, and just you know, and that's part of that is the fact that the guys in front of him in the order have did not get on base with the consistency that they that we thought they would, uh, i.e. Granderson and Polanco until lately. But I just don't feel like Nicole Cabrera has given the Tigers his best year yet, and it doesn't mean he's a bad player. It just means that I don't think he's done it yet. Jay, I can see your point to the fact that Miguel Cabrera is the only guy in this lineup hitting about 300. He he has stepped up at points. Let's hear what you have to say on this situation. Is Miguel Cabrera still up in that echelon? I think so. I think Miguel is one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball. And, and I'll begin to say that I understand where Greg is coming from, that we haven't seen the, the litany of walk-off hits and, and that parade of, of heroics from Miguel, uh, from Miguel late in the game, you know, day in and day out for a two-week stretch like you dream about in a, in a pennant chase, and I understand that. But when I look at any statistical measure that compares Miguel with anyone else on this ball club, he is by far the best hitter on this team. And, and Greg's point is valid that, you know, that's kind of like being the, you know, the cutest ugly girl at the dance. I, I get that, but Miguel Cabrera is the only player in the American League the only player in the American League to rank in the top 12 in home runs, batting average, and RBIs. He has 184 hits on a team that has fewer hits than any team in the American League. He has 14% of the Tigers' hits. The only player in Major League Baseball with a higher percentage of his team's hits is Ichiro. When you look at the quality or lack thereof of hitters around him throughout the season and in the month of September, and then look at what Miguel has been able to do, I think that tells you why you're not seeing those gargantuan performances. You know, when you've got guys like Curtis Granderson hitting 203 in the month of September, Carlos Guillen hitting 152, and this was, you know, coming into today's game, it's hard to hit three-run homers when there's nobody on base. You know, it's hard to drive in five runs when the Tigers get four hits and you have three of them. So I can understand Greg's point. The offense has been anemic, and, and yes, Miguel has not put that cape on and lifted guys, but of the big boys on this team that Greg wrote about in the article, Miguel Cabrera is the only guy of 
Curtis Granderson, Carlos Guillen, Maglio Ordonez, who is playing nine innings every day against right and left-handed pitchers and still being productive. He's not getting pulled in the seventh inning for a defensive replacement. He's out there making gold glove caliber plays. He's not moving down to seventh in the lineup when there's a right-handed pitcher going. He's still hitting cleanup. So could he have been better? Sure. I'll admit that he has not been Pujols-esque, and, and he's not quite there yet. But I think he's taken a bad rap this year for being part of a pretty anemic offense overall. Well, there you have it. There are the two sides of the argument. I want to get Ian involved in this. You talked about the defense a little bit, Jay, and of, of Miguel Cabrera, and that's definitely turning into a game changer. What are your thoughts on that, Ian? Does that make him more of a better baseball player, simply the fact that he can make these plays now at first base? Yeah, absolutely. He's, I mean, I, he's the first baseman I watch the most, so I, I naturally think he's uh, pretty good. But uh, he's made a, a big uh improvement in that part of his game i mean it, he was he was really shaky over there when he first moved over there last season you know his footwork was was constantly messed up uh you know he was having trouble making making the uh, double play throw um now all of that just seems natural and, and he does seem to be a complete player greg when you look at the players around uh, miguel cabrera They've gotten better when you look at what they've done in their career, but maybe not helping out right now. You look at Maglio Ordonez, Carlos Guillen in the lineup, their averages mentioned before, and you look at Albrey Huff added to the lineup. Is there one of these guys that you see out of here, Maglio hitting the best right now, that will step up and help Miguel Cabrera put those games on his back? Well, you know, I, I think Ordonez might be, I mentioned it in um, – Monday Morning Manager recently that, that uh, keep an eye on Maglio because he might this might be um, an opportunity now for him to kind of make everybody forget uh, what a bewitching kind of a year this has been for him. Uh, I'm, so, I'm really seeing a lot of improvement in him in the last uh, month or so. He seems, to, he seems to have more confidence. He seems to not be pressing as much. Um, I think, you know, if, if there's one guy that, that, that has the potential to kind of rise from the ashes, if you will, and, and help Miguel out, and, and Jay's right. I mean, I mean, uh, as angry as I was uh, when I wrote the article about Miguel Cabrera, uh, I, I did point out in that, in that article that there are, other, there are a lot of other culprits and that you can look cross-eyed at. And uh, he has not gotten a lot of help. But on the other hand, that's what the great players do. They do it without, you know, they just they, they, they say, well, you know, I guess I'm going to have to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. They kind of... You know, everybody climbs on board. But I think if anybody's going to help him, it's going to be somebody like Nagler. He's got the experience. He obviously is a, he's a, he's a big game hitter. He's, he's had big hits in his career. Um, you know, I just sense that he's get, he's starting to feel a little feel it a little bit, and I, I, I sense that he may make some people pay, uh, i.e. opposing pitchers, for uh, some of the uh, travails that he's had this year. And I think he might be a fun player to watch down these last couple of weeks that have been playoffs. We saw some of that power at the Metrodome this weekend. What are your thoughts, Ian, on this? Do you think that it's an Aubrey Huff or maybe a Marcus Timps, or do you think it's that Maglio Ordonez behind him in the lineup that helps out down the stretch if the Tigers do get in the playoffs? Uh, well, all of the above. I think one of the biggest problems with the lineup is just the uh, lack of production they've got out of the designated hitter spot. Um, part of that has been, you know, they've faced a lot of left-handed starters lately, so Huff's not getting regular at-bats, Guillen's not getting regular at-bats. Rayburn, he had the home run today, but he'd been struggling in two or three games before that. Um, I think they need to do something. I don't know if they're going to do anything this drastic, but 
I think they either need to make Rayburn the full-time left fielder because he, his splits are pretty even against left and right fielders this year, and make Guillen the full-time DH, or do something maybe even more drastic like DHing Alex Avila. I mean, he, he he seems to be one of their best hitters. I know Leland's not going to play him against left-handers, and they're, they, again, are facing quite a few. They're facing two in the Cleveland series, I see here. Um, but if, if if he's not going to catch and he trusts Gerald Laird more defensively, which I agree with, by the way, they could still use his bat in the lineup. Let's talk about that a little bit. Gerald Laird, most likely the full-time catcher from here on out. Ian, you say you like that move. Maybe explain why you like that move just a bit. Uh, he just completely shuts down the other team's running game. I mean, that was a even though the Tigers only won one game this weekend. I mean, they they have two, the Twins have two of the more feared base runners, I think, in a uh, Denard Span and Carlos Gomez, and they they just had no chance um, with Laird behind the plate. And even there was even a play today where Punto tried to steal, and he would have nailed Punto, except the uh, infielders were staying in their places to prevent a hit and run. Um, that's just an extremely valuable weapon, I think. What are your thoughts on that, Jay? Do you think that you have to go with a veteran guy like Gerald Laird, despite maybe not hitting the best when you've got a guy on the bench like Avila that could bring some offense in a time that you need offense? What are your thoughts? Well, I think Ian hit the nail on the head in one regard. that uh, Against a team like Minnesota that likes to run as much as they do, Gerald Laird's arm is a bigger weapon than his bat. And if you can work Alex Avila in as a pinch hitter, as a DH, that's fine. But uh, I, Ian, again, was correct that, that Laird was so dominant behind the plate. I, I asked myself out loud, you know, Ron Gardenhire, why are you still running? Are you, are you not paying attention? I mean, it's not even close. And you, you need a guy like that, and especially when you're playing a team like Minnesota that runs. You know, the White Sox aren't running a whole heck of a lot. The Indians a little bit, but not as much as the Twins, so I could see giving Avila a couple more starts in those series, but when Minnesota comes back into the town at the end of the year, I, I fully hope to see Gerald Blair behind the plate. Even though he's struggling, you can make room for one guy, and Laird, I believe, had two hits today. Um, you can make room for one guy who gives that much to the team on the other side, despite his struggles, because he, he's so valuable keeping runners off base in tight games. Greg, is part of the value, too, with Laird putting him in the lineup despite his lack of hitting, is it the fact that he's a veteran and he can call games better, for example, Nate Robertson today? Well, I, I think so. I think that's a, that's a factor. I think that uh, it's to the point now, though, where Laird's arm is, is I think, should be forcing, even if it doesn't. <laughs> and if it doesn't, it's the other team's uh, foolishness. But his arm is so good at making other teams change their strategy. I mean, it's, or just at least making them think. It's, it's and anything you can do to, to, to make the other team a little bit more uncomfortable, uh, especially in a playoff-type situation, uh, just make them maybe think, maybe not quite do something that they would like to do. Um, Mike Shosha over in, uh, in Los Angeles loves to, loves to run a lot as well. If the Tigers were able to make it to the uh, LCS to play the Angels, for example. But, you know... I, I've always been a big proponent of, of experience down the stretch anyway and in playoff situations. And, um, yeah, I think clearly Gerald uh, has a good hand. And that was his reputation coming in uh, from Texas, that he had that uh, that knack of working well with pitchers. Uh, and we knew about his arm. We didn't know it was this good. At least, you know, maybe he's just having a great year. I mean, I suppose people can have, 
catchers can have great arm years, just like hitters can have great hitting years. He's having a great arm year. So we knew it was good. We didn't know it was this good. And, and, and Jay and Ian are right. I mean, these are weapons that he, it's so good, it's so effective that you can, I think, uh, ha, ha, suffer his 225 average in there um, because he takes away. What he takes away from the other team is just as important, if not more important, than what he, anything he can deliver at the plate. Well, let's take a look at the series coming up against the Cleveland Indians. The keys have to be more offense as well and some road wins where the Tigers have struggled a 31-44 and 44 record on the road. It gets underway Tuesday today, Edwin Jackson taking on Justin Masterson, two righties going at it. We'll start with Jay. What is the key? We know the offense is key here, but it has to be a sweep against the Indians, doesn't it? Well, at this point, at least two out of three, I think, would be valuable. It's just about knocking games off that magic number and then knocking games off the schedule at this point. The challenge is going to be the the Tigers this year, at least in in the estimation of a lot of fans, have really struggled against young guys coming in, guys that everyone thinks the Tigers should beat and beat handily. You know, they, they seem to do pretty well against the, you know, the Grankies and the Hallidays and the Sabathias, but it's guys like Justin Masterson and David Huff and Jeremy Sowers that the way the offense has been lately against young pitchers, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them drop two out of three. Um, so the offense is going to be key, putting a few runs on the board, but the thing in this series that I'm going to be watching more closely than anything else is going to be Edwin Jackson. Uh, you know, his last five or six starts, he has been not very impressive at all. And he has not been that guy that we saw in the first half of the season that was scary good. He threw a side session today and trying to work out a couple of mechanical tweaks. Hopefully he and Rick Knapp can, can find a common ground and Edwin can be better. Uh, it would certainly be nice to start that series with a win and, and not feel like they're, they're fighting uphill in another series, and that's going to be a big game on Tuesday, so uh, I'll be anxiously watching. You bring up a great point about Edwin Jackson, who has allowed 21 earned runs on 37 hits in his last 31 and three-thirds innings pitch. That's his last five starts. He hasn't been as the same bite on that slider since the first half. Ian, is that a concern for you as we go into this series if he doesn't perform well against another pitcher, Justin Masterson, who's done well for a rookie young pitcher? Absolutely. I, I think John's just, I mean, John's absolutely right. I mean, the, Jackson needs to show that this isn't a prolonged slump, that he's not tiring out, that he's not losing the feel for his pitches, that he can be dependable uh, in this playoff run. And it would be even more disconcerting, I think, if he struggled against the Indians because he's pretty much dominated them this season. Coming up on Wednesday, Rick Porcello will be on the mound, 13-9 on the year, taking on another rookie, David Huff, the left-hander, 10-8 with a 5.98 ERA. The rotation set up well in this Indian series, I think, Greg. When you look at it, Justin Verlander goes on Thursday, the last game of the series. It, it gives the chance that Justin Verlander will pitch in the Twins series at Comerica Park coming up starting the 28th. What are you looking for for Porcello at, if going into the playoffs what do you think he's got to work on? Well, you know what? I, I think he's proven that he's not really going to be hitting that wall. I think I think that ship has sailed. I think that the Tigers did a very good job of, of uh, managing him. 
particularly around the All-Star break when they kind of shut him down and gave him essentially maybe almost two weeks rest. Uh, I think that helped him. Uh, I think he's got confidence. I think that um, he, um, you know, it's, it's, you, you never really know until you put a guy out there, a young kid like that out there in a playoff game and, you know, how he's going to react. But, you know, I think that um, a guy like Laird, we mentioned him earlier, can, can help a kid like that out in a situation like that. Um, uh, I just think that he needs to just keep doing what he's doing, just keep pounding the strike zone, just keep going after hitters. Uh, uh, the worst thing I think he can do right now is to try to change things, and I don't think the Tigers are going are, are gonna to make him do that anyway. Just go out there and just uh, continue to do what you're doing and just, um, you know, take every start like it's, uh, you know, like it's been – like it's any other start, and, and don't think too much, overthink it. And, um, you know, I think the real test will be, you know, when he goes in that first, if he does, uh, you know, play a pitch in a playoff game on the road, for example, in a hostile environment, and, you know, the game speeds up a little bit on him and, and he gets a couple of runners on base early or something, and we'll, we might see what, what he's, how he'll react to that. We won't know, of course, until that happens. But, you know, from what I've seen, I, I'm impressed. I like, I like his mindset. He seems to be tough. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, he's got that kind of mentality that he's not going to really let it uh, let it get to him, and he can bounce back. And Porcello, he's done well in August at 232 average against. And there's been a lot of talk about how the Tigers have overworked Porcello, but really you talk about those two-week absences where he was taken out of the rotation. He's like a pitcher that's getting limited in innings in Jabba Chamberlain that Rick Porcello has been limited in innings. Do you think that's going to help Greg in the playoffs? Well, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it, it's just different. The whole the way you manage a game is different. Obviously, you don't have a you know gobs of players on your on your bench like you do right now in September. You you know, you're down to the 25 man uh, maximum again. You've got to uh, decide how many pitchers you're going to keep on the staff, how many bench players you're going to want to have, and you know, the, just the way you manage uh, not just the game, but the way you manage the series is different. And uh, but the thing for Porcello, though, he's just got to just try not to. Harp on the fact that he's on the, that he's in the playoffs. If that makes any sense, just try to just uh, have a regular season mentality and just and just keep pounding the strike zone and uh, and I think he'll be fine. You know, you, you can obviously keep six quality innings out of him. The, the Tigers bullpen has proven itself to be strong enough where you, you feel like you can do that and maybe even go get him in the sixth inning if you have to uh, and and have the bullpen guys kind of take it the rest of the way. So you know they're not asking Porcello to go out there and pitch seven, eight, nine innings. If he can give them six quality innings and let the bullpen take over from there, uh, I think they'll be pleased with that. Well, Justin Verlander will wrap up the Cleveland Indians series, and then it's off to Chicago to take on the White Sox. Pretty ironic here. White Sox supposed to be in contention with the Tigers with the Jake Peavy acquisition. He'll make his second start of the season in the American League against the Tigers in that series. And, Jay, do you see Peavy playing a big part in this? Well, there's a lot of guys I'd rather see the Tigers facing in a September pennant race than Jake Peavy, to say the least. Um, he only had one career start against the Tigers, and he lost, uh, although he did have 10 strikeouts in six innings in that game. You know, who knows how healthy and how strong he is, but I'll say this. Anytime you're playing the White Sox towards the end of the year, whether the Sox are in it or not, Ozzie Gann is the kind of manager who's going to throw what he's got, everything he's got, against you. Uh, he's going to take pride in being a spoiler as much as a contender. And, you know, Jake Peavy is trying to validate his worth to the players and the fans and the organization there. So it's going to be a tough matchup for certain. I, uh, I just hope that the Tigers can be patient 
and a guy coming off that kind of break is going to have a little bit of rust. Make him throw strikes. Don't be too aggressive and you know, get rid of him by the fourth, fifth inning and uh, get into that bullpen, which has been trouble for the White Sox. Like the Tigers, Ian, the White Sox have struggled a bit on offense at points this year. Going on the road, as mentioned before, 31-44 and 44 on the road so far before this Cleveland series. Does this Is this a different road-type series where you say the Tigers are more in it simply because the White Sox have had the similar struggles that the Tigers have? I think so, and I, I think playing at U.S. Cellular also does not um, doesn't really hold any fear for the Tigers. I mean, arguably one of their best road series of the year was that, that five-gamer in June. You know, that was as important a series as they've played all season long, uh, given where their division was. And they, what did they win, three out of five of those games? Right. Um, I, I like the fact that they're playing the Sox. I think uh, the fact that, uh, you know, they do relish the role of spoiler, as John mentioned, uh, hopefully focuses them a little bit. You know, they're not playing a last-place team that maybe they won't take seriously. They know what the Sox can do to them. The White Sox series will be key. Hopefully at that point, the Tigers might have built something for as, as a lead. Greg, as we look ahead, coming up, Minnesota on the 28th. What are, your, what are you thinking the, the outcome is going to be at that point? Is this still going to be a close race on the 28th? You know, it, it, this obviously this week is, is, is big because uh, the Tigers can go into that series with the Twins um, in Detroit um, two or three games ahead. Yeah, even if they lose a game off their lead this week, after all, after this week's upcoming week's games are played, and they go into that series up two, they're still in a position where the, the Twins almost have to win three out of four to to really have a shot. Because now you're looking at the last weekend of the season. Um, you know, so I would be fine with that. Uh, the Tigers, by virtue of winning today and getting that lead back up to three, have kind of put themselves in a position where. Uh, if they can just break even or come close to it, they've got 13 games left, so they just win six of them even. They're going to force the, the Twins to win nine out of their last 13. And the Twins have just come off a six-game winning streak. That might have been their last hurrah. Uh, they seem to play the Tigers really tough, and I don't know how they'll do the rest of the way. But, you know, if you can just get yourself in a, a situation where you, the Twins have to win three or even all four of those games in Detroit, then that's, that's a good position for the Tigers to be in. So they, I don't think they have to really run off five or six in a row, although it would be nice, obviously, to put this thing to bed. If they just kind of win every other night almost, uh, you know, they can, they can kind of keep the Twins at arm's length and, uh, and kind of make, uh, you know, make that, that next week's games in Detroit just absolutely, completely crucial for the Twins uh, uh, to the point where they almost feel like they have to win all four. Ian, do you think the pressure is going to be on the Twins in that four-game series when they head to Comerica Park? I do. Uh, the way the magic number is set up now, I, I know 11 seems like an imposing number, but Greg pretty much said it. I mean, you're looking at a situation where the Tigers would pretty much have to lose all their games and the Twins would have to win all of theirs. Um, you know, if they were playing the Royals for 11 games, maybe I'd be really scared. <laughs> um, but uh, it just, it, it, it doesn't, Anything's possible, of course, but uh, this is really quite a hill for the Twins to climb. We'll take a deeper look at that Minnesota Twins series next week, but on the 28th, a very special uh, ceremony taking place, the 25th anniversary of the Tigers World Series Championships. Of all teams, it's against the Minnesota Twins, but first, 
Let's go back to 1984. I gotta ask you, panelists, who your favorite Tiger is from that 1984 team. Such a, such a special team. I guess appropriately, we should start with you, Ian, since you write for BlessYouBoys.com. Uh, well, I wish I. Th- this might sound like kind of a boring choice, but but Kirk Gibson is is probably my favorite Tiger. So naturally, he's gonna be my favorite player on the 1984 team. Um, you know, he had the signature moment of the world series, but he just, he, that, that team just adopted his, his spirit, his, his tenacity. I I, I think he's, to me, he's that team. We'll go back to go to you now, Greg, who's your favorite team or player on the 1984 team? I think I might have a guess. (laughs) Well, you know, well, I mean, I, I guess you're, you're, I guess you're guessing I'm going to say Johnny Grubb and, and, and Johnny, uh, it probably is a sentimental favorite of mine. I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's pretty obvious by the virtue of, uh, of one of my blogs uh, that I that I uh, like Johnny Grubb. But uh, you know, Grubb had a big hit in the in uh, I think it was Game Two of the ALCS in Kansas City uh, in extra innings. I think it was a double that drove in uh, the go ahead run, which ended up being the winning run. I'll never forget the image of Johnny, who was very did not show a lot of emotion, of course. And they, they, he was standing at second base and kind of just clenched his fist and gave a little fist bump, which was like the most emotion you've ever seen on Johnny Grubb. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I liked Johnny. He was, he was a great, he was just a great Tiger. And he, uh, you know, uh, a couple of years later in 86, he, he carried the team for a few weeks when they were trying to catch Boston. And uh, I, I completely agree with Ian about, about Gibson, though. And I was almost going to pick him, but, you know, I didn't want to be a copycat. So I'll go with Johnny Grubb because of uh, the sentimental... Uh, a flavor that he adds to to me personally. How about you, Jay? You're going with a off the wall one like Johnny Grubb. Well, it's hard to make a bad choice from that '84 team <laughs> because I think everybody on that club contributed, and even guys like Tom Brookins and Dave Bergman, who looked more like a refrigerator salesman than a first baseman, uh, found a way to go out and help win ball games. But if I had to choose one, I would take Lance Parrish. Uh, I've been a catcher my entire life. I, I wore number 13 as a kid. I was nine years old in 1984, and I, I really identified with with Lance. And uh, I still have that image burned in my head when Jack Morris threw his no hitter of him jumping into into Parrish's arms. And uh, I, I would have to take him in a close race over everybody else on the team. Well, I'll close out saying my favorite, probably Willie Hernandez, because let's be honest, we haven't seen a closer like that in Detroit for quite a while. Somebody that came in and shut the door. I like the whole bullpen as well. Well, they'll all be there. A lot of the players will be there for that celebration on the 28th. So head on out to Comerica Park. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, episode number 10. And guys we can celebrate, maybe drink on the fact that the Metrodome is no more for the Tigers. Amen. Well, if there's a one-game playoff, you know, they can... (laughs) When we come back on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, we'll be joined by Paul Wesner of Tigstown.com, the number one source for Detroit Tigers minor league coverage and analysis. Paul and I will discuss this year's Arizona Fall League selections as well as get an update on one of the top pitching prospects in the system. That's all coming up on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball part of the Fansided Network. All-star fans, all-star content. Fansided.com is a sports network where diehard fans dish out non-stop sports news and views. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! Fandom has no off-season, and neither do we. We're talking about practice. 
Not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. Fansided.com, the number one pro sports blog network on the internet. They're not growling, they're not biting, heck, they're not even angry. But these young players have a future in the old English D. It's time for Prospects on the Pro on MotorCityBengals.com. Here's Joe Dexter. We're now joined by Paul Wesner of Tigestown.com, the number one source for Detroit Tigers minor league coverage and in-depth analysis. Hey, Paul, how's it going today? Doing well. How are you doing, Joe? Doing great. Well, baseball season playoffs are rolling around for the Detroit Tigers. Well, minor league-wise, things are starting to shift a bit, and we're going to look today at the Arizona Fall League. First, Paul, can you give us a little little in-depth analysis and basically an overview of what the Arizona Fall League really is? Absolutely. So the Arizona Fall League is basically at the end of the season, obviously the minor league season wraps up a little bit before the big league season does. You got call-ups and things like that. At the end of all that, once pretty much all teams are done for the year, everybody kind of congregates and all the teams send their, like really the cream of the crop type prospects to the Arizona Fall League. So these are the guys that are going to be the top prospects in the organization, a bit more mature, so you're not going to see any really typically like 18-, 19-year-old guys there, but guys that are really going to be knocking on the doorstep in the next year or two and really like those top-end guys so they can really get out there and kind of compete with the best of the best. So is that why we possibly don't see like a Wilkin Ramirez in the Arizona Fall League because they have a chance to make the Major League roster? Um, you know, that can certainly be one of the reasons. You know, a guy like Wilkin has gone in the past before, and being that he's now had, you know, a year of AAA experience and could potentially be, you know, a contributor for the team in the playoffs, you know, that's certainly going to play into that role. Typically, you're going to be looking at guys that, you know, haven't yet made any big league appearances, are still really prospects in that sense, and are really going to be kind of the up-and-comers, so to speak, more than the guy that, you know, kind of established himself at AAA and is probably going to be looking at a big league career starting next spring. Well, let's take a look at the six members that will be in the Arizona Fall League, starting with Robbie Weinhardt, Cody Saberwhite on the list, Tad Weber, also a relief pitcher, and then the three fielders, Scott Sizemore, Kale Arg, and Ryan Streeby. Let's start with Weinhardt. What do you know about this guy? I know he is a starter, but there's not much out there for us common Tigers fans. Weinhardt's actually a reliever. He's exclusively um, probably a seventh, eighth inning type guy. Um, Really, he's spent the most of the 2009 season in Lakeland and really was just absolutely dominant. I don't think he ever allowed more than two earned runs in any entire month for the entire time that he was down there, which I believe was up through around mid-July before getting the call up to Erie. He was very good in Erie as well. Um, the thing with Reinhardt is that he doesn't have the type of stuff that's going to blow you away. He doesn't come out there with the mid-90s fastball or anything like that. He's really going to kind of work more on mixing his two pitches kind of, you know, using deception. His fastball has great movement on it. So he's really that type of guy. And thing is, a lot of times you project somebody like him to be somebody that as they move up the ladder, they're going to struggle more. But in Weinhardt's case, he's really proving to be the exception of the rule because he, you know, really held his own and then some at double-A Erie, which is really, you know, the proving ground or that final testing ground for most prospects. Weinhardt logged 27 innings with double-A Erie. Is that where you see him ending up possibly to start the next season? 
for 2010, he really probably could go either way at this point. A lot of it could very well boil down to, you know, how things shake out and how the offseason plans go, you know. We've seen a number of guys up in AAA Toledo this year, like Casey Fien and Freddie Dolce, that could potentially be moved up to the big league club and take up big league roster spots, or they could be back down in AAA Toledo again for a second go-around. So if that's the case, then oftentimes you're going to end up seeing relievers shift down. So Weinhardt's positioning for 2010 will likely depend a lot on where another other guys end up. And what is it that the Tigers are looking for in the Arizona Fall League? Is it just to get him a, some experience against more experienced hitters? You know what? The plan will always differ depending on the player and that sort of thing. So when Curtis Granderson, for example, went to the AFL, it was now five years ago, I believe, he went there. You know, he still had a very good power bat. He went there specifically with the assignment of making sure to make contact against left-handers, work on specific aspects of his game and not really worry about swinging for the fences or anything like that because the Tigers already felt he was good in those areas, didn't need any more work on there. So, you know, it can really depend on the player, how they perform in the 2009 season, and what specifically the Tigers are going to be looking for them in 2010. The starter I really meant to talk about, Thad Weber. Now this guy, he's much like Weinhardt, started in Lakeland, moved up to AA Erie. What do you see in this guy as his starter? Is that where he's going to remain? Um, for right now, it looks like he's going to remain a starter. He obviously had a very good second half to the season. His numbers bear that out, including tossing a no-hitter for the club. So, um, you know, he had a really great second half. He's another one of those guys, though, he can dial it up a bit more, probably low to mid-90s, typically can hit up to 94 on the gun. So he's somebody that has probably a little bit more of that higher-end ability, but on the flip side, you know, he wasn't somebody that was really a highly projected guy, you know, not a top top five round draft pick, anything like that. So he's somebody that as long as he can continue to pitch like this, obviously he's going to continue to move up prospect charts, but he's just one of those guys that when, you know, you see take um, bullpen sessions and things like that, he's not somebody that just blows you away. Like some of the other top end talents, like one of his teammates, Cody Satterwhite does. Speaking of Cody Satterwhite, he's also part of the Arizona Fall League roster. Spent this year with Erie. He's got that explosive fastball, 96 miles per hour. Is this possibly a look at the bullpen, maybe even for 2010 in the Arizona Fall League for the Tigers? Um, it's certainly possible. The thing with Satterwhite is that, um, you know, he really has need to get more refinement. Very much like Ryan Perry, who he was drafted in the same class, albeit just a round later. He's got explosive stuff. As you mentioned, he's got a 96-mile-an-hour fastball and a very good developing slider. The issue with Satterwhite is really just harnessing that in, as well as battling some injury issues that he had later on in the season, had a couple of different DL stints. And so assuming he's 100% come mid-October, really the Tigers are going to want to be able to see him get out there pitch without any soreness or stiffness in that shoulder and see how he looks. Now for the hitters, it's a little bit different story here. Three guys that have a lot of experience in the system already. One of the top prospects going into this year and then another power hitter and Scott Sizemore, who's interesting for 2010. Let's start with Scott Sizemore. He hit 310 in Toledo, also did well in Erie hitting 307. Is this possibly a look to see for next year or do you think it takes another year of minor leagues? for Sizemore? You know, Sizemore is going to be a very interesting case, and a lot of it could very well depend on what happens this offseason with Placido Polanco. 
course, Polanco's a free agent, and whether or not the Tigers re-sign him could depend on, you know, contract negotiations, discussions, what he thinks he's worth, what he thinks he could get, whether or not they offer him arbitration. Any number of things is going to play into that decision, and that will likely influence what happens with Sizemore, whether or not he's getting a look in Detroit or is basically destined for Toledo again. If Polanco doesn't come back, I'd say probably going into 2010, Sizemore is going to be the odds-on favorite to be the starting second baseman. Probably not necessarily every day. I think you'll most likely see some sort of platoon-type situation where Sizemore's playing a lot, but somebody like Ramon Santiago would come in and defensive replacement sort of thing and spelling him on certain days. But Sizemore has that type of bat. You know, he hits 300 at every level, makes great contact, hit everything on the button, on a line. So he's that type of guy where you just look look at, and while he doesn't have a lot of the other aspects of the game that you'd like to see out of a player, he's not great defensively, doesn't have great speed, he just plain hits. When you talk about Sizemore, and earlier brought up that Granderson was sent to the Arizona Fall League to work on against left-handed hitters and many other things, could this be the Tigers uh, having him work on that defense that he has struggled with? Um, You know, I mean, his defense, it's not as necessarily a point where, you know, it's something that he needs work on. He's just, you know... There are some guys like a Cal Orge that is just a completely fluid athlete. You just go out there and watch him and you say, this kid can win a gold glove. And Sizemore just doesn't have that natural ability. He's not going to do anything incredibly poor. He's not going to boot balls or trip over his own two feet. But he's just he doesn't have the incredible range, doesn't have incredibly soft hands, isn't going to make circus-type plays. That's just not what he's got going for him. He's just the kind of guy that, you know, not a great athlete, not going to do a lot of those other things well. Like I said, he just hits. Let's talk about Kale Orge, the defensive player shortstop by the Eastern League managers chosen that, and also by Base Mer- Baseball America. Defense has been there, we've known that, but he had a two twenty two average so far in double A. What's he got to work on? Is it that hitting, shortening stroke? Is there anything that you've caught that he really needs to work on? I mean, really, obviously, it's just his offensive game all around. He hasn't shown great patience at the plate. He obviously regressed this year as far as, you know, just his power production. Didn't really hit for a good average either, although his 2008 average wasn't great either down in Lakeland. So, I mean, really, it's just a matter of waiting for that bat to catch up to the rest of his abilities because he has all the tools there. When you watch him in batting practice, you can see the ball just jump off his bat. And anybody that watches him, you know, take fielding practice or just watch them play shortstop in a game. I mean, it's really like a thing of beauty to watch. Like people don't understand and people are often critical of him because of the numbers that he's put up this season and how much he's really struggled offensively and question that ability. But when you just get out there and watch him play the game, he's just one of those guys where the statistics haven't bared out what actual talent is there. I mean, he's just such a fluid player. I mean, he's the type of guy that regardless of the bat, if you needed just somebody to play defense in the, Detroit right now, you could bring Cal Orge up and you'd feel 100% confident that he would make every single play you needed to him and then some. He is definitely that type of talent and maybe heading to the Arizona Fall League is simply to get more time after sporting those Mormon mission trips. Well, another hitter to talk about is Ryan Streeby. We've talked about him on the program, Paul. A lot of power, obviously. Yep, a lot of power with that bat. Really the only thing that's been slowing him down this year has been that nagging wrist and hand injury that he suffered at the end of last season. He was really on pace last year to put up a record year, set records for not just the Lakeland Flying Tigers, but the entire Florida State League until he broke his hand, which called the hammock bone, which is a small bone on the bottom side of the hand. And what ended up happening is it just seems to be an nagging recurring injury for him that just keeps 
kept popping back up. It would get better for a couple of weeks, then he'd have to sit for a little while, then he'd be playing every other day, and it's really been a nagging thing for him. First they thought it was arthritis, then they thought it was bone spurs, now the third evaluation showed that they don't believe that when they did the surgery they got all the bone back together and so that there's been a little piece of bone floating in his hand, and that's called the persistent pain. The thing with him is that when he's healthy and when he can swing the bat well, he has better power and possibly better power right now than anybody in this organization short of Miguel Cabrera. I mean, that's the type of swing and power that this kid has in his bat. So really it's just going to be a matter of him getting healthy and then trying to find a place for him to play defensively. Well, that's a look at the players heading to the Arizona Fall League to work on their game. And one pitcher that continues to work on his game before the minor league season ends is Casey Crosby, who we talked about on the program, that did hurt himself. He's back. He's trying to work on his game. Do you got an update on that situation? Casey Crosby, he underwent just it's a, you know, had a blister issue, basically, is what it came down to. And so it was making him difficult, making it tough for him to go out there and pitch. He sat out really for most of August before coming back. They're trying to come back in the Whitecaps' first playoff game, and he really just wasn't the same pitcher that he was prior to that. I mean, if you look at his numbers just down the second half, really throughout the summer, he was virtually unhittable. His ERA was south of two for much of the season. So, I mean, you're really talking about a guy that, other than that, you know, minor realistically issue was just absolutely dominant. And really, whenever you got a guy that has his type of stuff with a 95 mile an hour fastball, good off speed stuff, and he's a left handed 20 year old to boot, I mean, you're talking about a very, very high potential guy right there that you could potentially be looking at, you know, a front of the rotation type guy. As always, the insightful Paul Wesner of Tigestown.com, the number one source for Detroit Tigers minor league coverage and analysis. Paul, thank you so much for your time, and enjoy some time off with the minor leagues wrapping up a little bit. <laughs> we'll try, but you know, there's always more work to be done. Paul Wesner of Tigestown.com, the number one source for Tigers minor league coverage and analysis, kind enough to join us to talk about the Arizona Fall League and Casey Crosby heading into 2010. Well, that's going to wrap up episode number 10 of this week in Detroit Tigers baseball. I want to thank our very talented panelists, starting with Greg Eno of the Knee Jerks every Monday at 11 on Blog Talk Radio and GregEno.com with all of his columns. Jalen Lambie of IofTheTigers.com, one of, if not the best writers covering your Detroit Tigers, and Ian Castleberry of BlessYouBoys.com, who keeps you up to date daily and has awesome game threads for you every game to vent or celebrate over in the BYB community. Well, the title run is here, and it all starts with the Cleveland Indians. One game is in the books, and as tomorrow's game awaits, so does the fate of our 2009 Detroit Tigers. Have a great week, everybody, and until next time, go Motor City Bengals. It was great to be a Tiger fan with a Georgia Peach and Wahoo Sam. They won the pennant three years in a row. Then Heilman led the squad, batting titles in years that were odd. Brick Stadium always had a hitting show. I'm talking baseball. Hank and Charlie slugging Tiger baseball. Schoolboy did the chucking. Goose Goslin made opposing pitchers scream. Then Georgie Kelly came upon the scene. I'm talking baseball. The Motor City team.